This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Hello, I'm Jake Lloyd, and welcome to How to Build Community, a podcast and a radio show brought to you by Aruka Network. In this episode, I speak with a co-worker at Aruka Network, who in May 2019 was elected by her community in the southwest of England to represent them at local government level and who, more recently, was also appointed to help lead her district council's response to the biggest global issue of our time. Climate change is a huge issue, and part of the solution, of course, will be to do with finance and technical solutions. But I think that more crucial, perhaps, even than that, will be conversation and listening and collaboration. And I think if you can get that stuff right, then the finance and the technical stuff should come easier. That's the voice of Elizabeth Wainwright. Since 2012, she has been a mentor, coach and leader here at Aruka Network. But she's also now a councillor at Mid-Devon District Council. And this episode of How to Build Community is a long overdue conversation with Elizabeth about her diverse career path so far and in particular, the work she is now doing in local politics. In the interview you're about to hear, Elizabeth tells us how she became a generalist and why she believes the world needs more people like this. She tells us why responding to climate change means changing our relationships with each other and having better conversations. She tells us why it's important for politicians to listen to the people they serve and also to share some of the challenges they face. And she shares some tips for approaching politicians or decision makers where you live. Before we begin the interview, and I normally say this at the end of the show, but it would be great to hear from you if you have feedback on this episode, if you have ideas for a future guest, or if you have any other thoughts to share, then do get in touch. There's lots of ways you can reach us. You can email me directly, jake, J-A-K-E, at arukanetwork.org. You can follow Aruka Network on Twitter or Facebook and contact us there. You can also reach us through our website, arukanetwork.org, and Aruka is spelt A-R-U-K-A-H. I know we have listeners to the show in over 50 countries now around the world, so do get in touch and tell us where you're contacting us from. But we'll start the interview now, and when I spoke with Elizabeth, I began by asking her to tell me about a very different career path that she nearly took. When I first went to university, I studied medicine. I thought I wanted to be a doctor off the back of um, the fact that I enjoyed working with people. I was quite good at science and I thought it would be a good career to choose. I did about half of a medical degree. I got into my third year and that summer I had done some volunteering in Zambia using basic health and hygiene skills with communities and schools in Zambia. So that was with a, a charity? Yeah, it was a group called Students for Kids International Projects, or SKIP. 
And that was the first time I'd been to Africa. And whilst we were there using, like I say, just basic health education skills with classes of children, I had this sense that unfolded during my time there that health was much bigger than just physical health. For people to be truly well, I had a sense and and saw that they needed education and and good governance and an ability to share their voice and influence power and these kind of things and I had a wonderful time there and lots of you created great relationships um, and just loved Zambia and came back and just found it really hard to get back into medicine and learning and exams I had to do retakes um because I hadn't put the work in and I know that I could have done I know I'm not stupid but my heart just wasn't in it and long story short I ended up stopping medicine and switching over to a degree in biology so I had something which in part could use what I'd done in my kind of pre-clinical years so I got my degree but all the while I had been volunteering with charities Um, so I carried on with Skip for a while. I worked with the Stop AIDS Society, put on events. I remember, I think it was when I was doing biology, that Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth, came out. So I did a screening of that at the university and got in speakers. And So I already had a sense that there were other directions I would start looking into. Do you, do you want to just say what that film is about? Sure, yeah. So An Inconvenient Truth was a film about climate change and sharing some of the facts and background and science and asking questions you know where are we headed what path are we on can we get off it and it really gripped me so even even when I was doing biology I was already touching into bigger bigger issues climate change other things like I say that with the stop aid society and I had fun as well I did basketball and and other things and I volunteered with Christian aid for a while so I sort of had this sense that there was kind of a big world out there and lots of different issues which interacted in some way that I, at that point, couldn't articulate. But I had a sense that it was all important and it would all play a role in whatever I went on to do, which at that point I had not got a clue what that would look like. And so, OK, we've worked together now for like a number of years. And so you often talk about being a generalist. And so it sounds like you started off this medical degree, which is effectively being a specialist in physical health of the human body. But you um, had these experiences that opened you up to the idea of being a generalist. Is that is that fair to say? And what, what, is, a, what is a generalist to you? So apparently my favourite question when I was a child was why? Well, why is that happening? Why is that like it is? Why Why does this action have that outcome? And to me, being a generalist is something about following the why. So as a specialist, you focus your vision on an issue or a topic. Um, and we need specialists, we need experts, we need people who know things deeply, particularly in an era of fake news and uh, uncertainty about truth. Whereas I see a generalist, we need them just as much we need people who can maybe know a bit about quite a bit and who can importantly make the connections between them Um, so I don't think I'm an expert in anything and yet I think I probably have an ability to to be able to touch into quite a few quite different 
issues and know enough about them to facilitate conversation or facilitate experts who can go deeply into them. So I think, I guess we'll quite like to fly the flag for, for generalists and say we need more of them. Um, and perhaps that is a an expertise in itself, being an expert in being a generalist. I don't know. Okay, so we'll we'll get onto your role in local politics in a bit, but would, it would be good to chart your briefly your journey from graduating to being with Aruka Network. Do you want to just briefly tell us how that happened? Like I said, I'd been volunteering um, and touching into different charities and organisations whilst I was getting my biology degree, and even whilst I was in medicine, I was volunteering, and then. I can't remember exactly what came first, but I got a part-time job with Christian Aid as a student rep for a while. So again, touching into various issues like climate change, HIV AIDS, fair trade, and going out to local communities, churches, elsewhere, and talking about these issues and putting on small events. So again, that gave me an insight, I think, into different areas, all of which I saw were connected but separate. I then did a, a master's. I decided to do a master's to go a bit deeper into some of these issues. So I did a master's in international development and had a particular focus on conflict and post-conflict countries. And again, that, I, I suppose, gave me a confidence or a grounding in some of these issues that I was coming into contact with through my volunteering and work so far. As part of that, I had to do a thesis and some research in the field. So I went to northern Uganda and also into Rwanda and Kenya, looking at recent-ish conflict and, and particularly child soldiers in that and how how best to rehabilitate these children who have become child soldiers and who are, if they're lucky and, and manage to escape or are released, how do you take someone who's been through what they've been through and, and help them integrate back into society? What are the things that need to be in place? What role models are there? What learning is there? So I had loads of great conversations and did well, got a good mark in my thesis. Um, and again, that opened up my eyes to, you know, even more levels of thinking about these interacting issues and poverty and justice and, and all the things connected to that. So from there, I got a job with an organisation um, and then I had the chance to move to Zambia with them which I did because they were looking to relocate their office um, in southern Zambia to a small town called Colomo. And that was great because it was an excuse to go back to Zambia, which I had touched on and really enjoyed when I was a medical student. And so there I had been, I was working on education and um, livelihoods projects and I enjoyed it and learnt lots, but it was very much donor gives money and we decide how it gets spent, which was, it, that was really, it felt really important to understand that way of working. But I remember, I guess that was the beginnings of me starting to see maybe the challenges with that donor-led or donor-instigated model. And then other things I was seeing where communities were creating and leading initiatives independently. Um, some of the bits I enjoyed most about that job was like if I was going to visit a school or something and kind of tick the boxes or deliver materials or whatever it might be I enjoyed when that work was done and then there was a bit of or I made time for informal just chats with teachers or 
whoever was around over a cup of tea um, or just a walk through the grounds. And it was in those moments that were kind of off record, but full of humanity and genuine questions or ideas that I felt more alive, I think. And, and all this stuff, of course, is easier to reflect on when you're looking backwards. Probably at the time, I wouldn't have necessarily articulated it this way, but there's that saying, isn't there, that life has to be lived forward but can only be understood backwards. And I would say that's probably true in my experience so far. So, yeah, enjoyed that. And also picked up skills I n- never knew I would need, like how to drive a tractor, how to take a pickup full of cabbages to market, how to deter elephants from trampling on your crops. You apparently use strings of chilli and elephants don't like chilli. So there was lots of um, other life skills there I learned. I don't know how much I'll need that particular skill again, but hey. Um, So yeah, really enjoyed my time there. Um, When I was there, the first time I went to Zambia, when I had been a medical student, I remember maybe it was white water rafting or something on the Zambezi and drinking a mouthful of water, not intentionally, but having fallen in. And this local guy said, ah, once you drink from the Zambezi, you'll always come back to Zambia. And I sort of said, I'll have no reason to come back here again. But interestingly, since then, and that was 15 years ago, I have gone back to Zambia loads of times. And so I find that interesting. So yeah, so that came to an end and I came back to the UK and I I don't know how it came about but I ended up seeing an opportunity with a magazine then in the UK and that's not something that had come onto my radar before but there was something that was pulling me that way and it was about you know I'd learned all this stuff in Zambia and with charities so far but there was something about how how do you talk about these issues which are quite complex and how do you frame them and how do you communicate them I I was quite interested in the communication side of things so ended up in this job as a deputy editor which sounds very grand it wasn't really it was in a glorified shed in North Devon and this is it's called what resurgence and ecologists was it exactly it's a magazine that looks at um deep social and um environmental issues it kind of takes a slow journalism approach so it's not quick journalism and news it's more reflective pieces or deep ecological pieces that that maybe go a bit deeper than the headlines would. So I grew up in Devon and I was quite keen to... I jumped at the chance to be back in North Devon again or be in Devon again. And that's like a a rural part of the southwest of England where you live now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was on on the coast and um, it was... It was good and I learned a lot about editing and, and discerning words and ideas and you connected with all kinds of authors and thinkers, which I guess you know, I'd always read a lot, but I think that really sort of scratched an itch in terms of dealing more intentionally with ideas and thinkers and writers, which is something I, I still do now in, in a different way. Tell us how you then ended up with Aruka Network. I had been doing this photojournalism and other part-time work around that for some time and then saw this opportunity with a small group that was then known as CHGN, Community Health Global Network. And I went in and met Ted Lancaster um, and one or two others who were connected and ended up 
doing some super part-time work with them because I was also working on other things. Um, so something part-time suited me and it was around communications and social media, which sort of fitted with what I'd been doing. So I thought that would suit me well. But as time went on, I got more and more into the the idea behind then CHGN and just, you know, in conversation and, and listening to people realise that there was something really exciting here that I wanted to be more involved in. So long story short, I did get more involved and ended up working with Ted and others to take this idea which had been working well in northern India to help take that idea elsewhere to other countries. Should we should we talk about, you know, Eureka Network, CHGN as it was then, is a support network for people who work in community development but we're effectively a network of clusters as we call them do you want to briefly explain what what a cluster is because correct me if I'm wrong you were tasked with taking this cluster idea that was being used in Uttarakhand in northern India and seeing if it would work elsewhere is that is that correct yeah, so there had been conversations started in Kenya on starting a cluster. So yeah, a cluster is loosely a group of people in one particular place who may be from different backgrounds and jobs and parts of society, but they come together into this collaborative group, which we call a cluster, and take stock of their area and efforts and initiatives and think about you know, where do we want to be as a community and how can we get there by working together? How do we use our different strengths and how do we overcome challenges and fill gaps where they might arise? So now we've got a couple of clusters in Zambia and Kenya and Tanzania and elsewhere. Um, So yeah, I guess it was really how do we work together to test this idea elsewhere and see is there something in it is there something in people coming together and creating a vision and working towards it in a way that's completely unique to their context but tied together through this idea of starting with relationship and listening and collaboration rather than with money or donors or other people's agendas Um, and that links back to your first experience in Zambia doesn't it where you you felt more value in the conversations you had with teachers rather than the actual doing of the project. So I wonder if we should skip ahead a bit and talk about a role you're doing now. So you're still involved with the Ruka Network in in, in different ways, um, but you're also in the last, what, nine months elected to your local council and you're now involved in local politics as a district councillor in the southwest of England. Tell us how that came about. Well, very unexpectedly, really. I had moved back to the southwest and connected with some local people and for various reasons decided that I supported the Green Party of England and Wales and had been to some of their events and become a member, not necessarily because I agree with everything they say, but because of the system we have at the moment in the UK and the options available, I felt that the Green Party best represented my vision of what kind of future we should be moving towards and so yeah I and then I moved to a slightly different part of Devon but the Green Party said look we're trying to put up candidates for the local elections are you interested in standing you don't really stand much of a chance in winning but it's great to have names on the ballot and I said oh yeah fine thinking that 
there would be not much chance of <laughs> winning. But then fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what frame of mind I'm putting on it, I did win the ward that I stood in and, yeah, became one of two green councillors on a council of 42 councillors. Um, and you, you you spat out your cup of tea when you found out, didn't you? Yeah, I was sort of just keeping one eye on the results as they came in. This was last May, May 2019. And saw, and I was looking at a visual map that was being updated and I saw this ward turn blue and green. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. A green has got in. And I thought, hold on a moment. That's the ward I stood in. That's me. So it was me and a conservative who, who've got the two seats for this ward, um, which is why it went blue for Conservative and green for Green Party. Do you want to describe the the people in the place you represent? What kind of size are we talking about and what kind of what kind of people have you been elected to represent? The district that I serve is predominantly agricultural, certainly in terms of land use. There are some urban centres. These are generally market towns. There's no cities. The ward that I represent within that district is made up of villages and hamlets and lots of farms uh, so it's predominantly rural what kind of things are people farming um so a mix of things it's, it's very hilly around here there's some really good grass and so on so so there's dairy cows there are sheep and there are some crops it's, it's a bit of a mix but i guess we're known in this area for dairy farming and devon clotted cream and that whole industry yeah and you have been tasked with a portfolio or responsibility for climate change within the council. And so in the UK, at least, people talk a lot about the problems of um, cows and the their environmental impact. It's It seems interesting that you're perhaps trying to bring together these two things that are sometimes, in the British media at least, seen as opposing one another. Tell us about your approach to, to that. Yeah, so some of the background to that, that, like I say, this is a council of 42 councillors. The governance structure that we use is a cabinet system. So though there are 42 elected members, there are a small group, um, about eight of those councillors, who are in what's called the cabinet and they ultimately take decisions and so on. Um, there are questions around whether that's the best governance system, and we're reviewing that at the moment, but that's the system we have at the moment. So last month I was asked to join the, the Cabinet um, with a new role as Cabinet member, as you say, with a portfolio for climate change, which is a new role. But yeah, to your question... It's interesting on lots of levels and, and feels tricky, but I'm enjoying it in different ways. I think my, and this might be wrong, but my experience or understanding of the Green Party is that it's um, predominantly aligned with people who are in more urban settings. Not necessarily as a rule, but that's been my encounter, I, I think, so far so taking green party lens into quite a rural environment feels it feels like an opportunity and actually having said all that i think at a local level the party politics doesn't really or shouldn't really come into it but i think the way that the climate change agenda and then 
as you say, the local and national and international farming agenda connect with each other. You can either see it as a as a point of tension, as some do, or you can see it as an opportunity. I think it's very easier for the media narrative around the whole issue to be one of combat, so farmers versus environmentalists. But actually, my experience, again, is when you get under those headlines and meet people that are actually working in those worlds it's people who care about either their their land or a place or the world and that's the starting point so there's so much common ground and obviously climate change is a huge challenge locally nationally globally and I see more and more and my experience so far tells me that any complex challenge like that you've you've got to start by coming together and discussing things openly and using your collective skills to to try and tackle these challenges and climate change is no different and with that in mind we need farmers we need conservationists we need everyone everyone playing a role so I think I'm interested in how do you facilitate these conversations and I think going back to my earlier point about being a generalist I'm obviously not an ex I've lived on a farm but I'm not an expert in farming I'm also not an expert in climate change and conservation I read a lot and I you know know people who are experts in those things but I'm not so what do I offer and I think all I can really offer is conversation and uh, maybe a platform to to bring people together and start discussing these tricky issues which is something that I'm trying to do in this new role or beginning to think about how do I do that in this new role yeah so tell us how how you're doing that it's it sounds to me like you've taken a lot of what you've learned through Aruka Network of of facilitating conversations between different people and collaboration and things like this and trying to bring that into your role in the council for example you've helped set up this working group that's engaging the public do you want to tell us about what that is or the idea behind that I know it's still at an early stage so I believe that elected people they are elected to speak on behalf of residents and they are elected to listen and to have dialogue with it's it's a kind of bridge perhaps between residents and the council you know the local authority so you know not only do I need to be learning because this is a completely new world for me I also want to be learning what people think and what's important to them and their ideas and you know, in my mind, the only way to do that is to, yeah, you know, physically sit down with people and not have question, uh, have conversation and ask questions and to, to share our skills, which, as you say, is something that, you know, it's, that's a way of working in a RUCA network. We're kind of working out the best way at the moment at the council to sort of formally facilitate that dialogue through, yeah, a platform which can bring in local experts, whatever field they're from and to to inform us as a council and to shine a light on things that we wouldn't otherwise know about and then we can think okay how do we use this what do we do with it how can this be part of actions and next steps and solutions so it's local people with ideas or expertise or important or useful things to contribute to the council so it's a way of people's voices being heard but then it's also a way of councillors and the the wider council to learn from the from the public so it's a sort of bridge between the two is that the the correct way to characterize what you what it is you've helped set up yeah that's what I hope it can be exactly as you say a bridge between the two um but 
in addition to that, I'm soon looking to put on a, a big event that local parishes in the district and, and other groups can come to connect with each other, share ideas, focus in on different themes and for it to just actually be quite an informal space, but well facilitated so that, as you say, you know, we can hear what's going on already. What are the questions and challenges people have? What might be s- solutions that other people have? Um, and we can take all this and then synthesize it into next steps. And on the flip side, as you say, it's how can we as a council share our own questions and challenges with parishes and community groups and farmers and others? It, it's got to be a two-way thing. I have read lots of books and, and things on organisations and how they're evolving and how we can move away from traditional hierarchy, which sometimes helps what we're trying to do but it my experience shows me too that it can get in the way so how do we break down this idea of us and them or higher and lower and rather say you know we're just we've just got different roles how do we elegantly bring them together um, and create a vision together and I think that is certainly one of my hopes for what I might be part of and what I can help achieve. And then, you know, around that also just ongoing informal conversations with residents and others. And, yeah, just trying to listen and understand. And, and yeah, because climate change is a huge issue. And part of the solution, of course, will be to do with finance and technical solutions. But I think that more crucial, perhaps, even than that will be skills in conversation and listening and collaboration and I think if you can get that stuff right then the finance and the technical stuff should come easier I don't know if that's idealistic or not but I think sometimes the harder stuff is in the the messy human stuff the the conversation the collaboration the finding the common ground getting beyond difficult points of view or or a conflict and moving to a a point of collaboration I think that's where the hard work is I think if you can like I say if you can get that right then the other stuff is is, it's more straightforward or it could be more straightforward that reminds me of so a previous guest on this show was Alistair McIntosh, a writer and environmentalist, and he he talks about a need for I think he described it as a, a like a mass change of consciousness is what is what is needed to to fight climate change. It's not it's you talk less about oh we need this really great piece of technology that can solve everything. Actually, it's a change, um, I guess, almost within our hearts and how we relate to one another. And it sounds like you're saying the exact same, the exact same thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think, again, going back to maybe being a generalist, I, th- I hope can, for me, that can help me come into that way of working that you've just described. I also did, a few years back, I did a coaching training and qualification. I was drawn to it, and I'm not, I wasn't totally sure why at the time, other than seeing coaching, and I mean, I don't mean sports coaching I mean sort of personal coaching um so helping people realize their goals or potential exactly yeah helping identify those goals and sort of 
identify obstacles that might be in the way and so on. Yuka is walking with someone or a group of people to that goal. And there's different styles of coaching and so on. So I did this coaching qualification. And at the time, I had the idea of maybe doing that one-on-one with people as a source of income, a career, and fitting that around all the work I was doing. I see, again, going back to the idea of learning by looking back at things more than when you're in it. I think, actually, that coaching mindset and way of thinking is something I will carry with me in whatever work I'm doing. And in this instance, in the council, there's something about that coaching mindset and walking with individuals and groups, using that mindset of curiosity and exploration and agreeing together on our goals. That mindset's been really helpful. Um, And it's something I may be looking to explore a bit more intentionally and think about what does coaching look like in the context of some of these complex challenges like climate change and touching on your point about Alistair McIntosh and part and spiritual change in my mind it's not just climate change but it's culture change and I'm holding these two things together and I don't mean culture change in the classic behavior change you have to change your ways you have to do this differently because there is a danger that that can tip into holier than thou and well my behavior is perfect you need to sort yours out and I think that can be really unhelpful rather I mean culture change in the way that you've described it's not just how is the world doing in terms of parts per million of carbon dioxide in the air it's how is your heart doing and how is your mind doing how is your spirit doing in this and what obstacles are there there that might stop us collectively from you know waking up to and realizing some of these challenges that we face there's a poet i I can't remember if it's mary oliver or someone who in one of their poems asks that question how is your heart and that's a question that we don't really get asked often I I never ask it but I sometimes want to ask it I sometimes you know we say how are you and people say I'm fine or you know how is your productivity what are your what are your numbers how are you know we ask for data and stats and so on but you know how is your heart whether you're an individual or how is your collective spirit as a community or you know these are weird questions and they demand vulnerability and honesty and the ability to even know what heart and spirit and all that stuff is and I think gosh without wishing to be too going off the point here I think I think there's so many experts and wonderful people in the world working on the technical solutions to climate change I think what I'm interested in is how are we working on the other stuff the mind and the soul and how are we working on the the glue in our communities and and the relationships you know how are we getting that stuff right or where is it going wrong and if so what do we do about it and I think I think maybe that's the harder work but it's the important work and I want to oh, in the words of Cheryl Sandberg I think I want to lean into that kind of work um and not and and I'm naturally not someone who likes conflict I'm not combative but I kind of enjoy also leaning into that messy complex space where there aren't answers but you have to work with people to find the answers even if that means being vulnerable or saying I don't know I don't think enough of us say I don't know we we like to be seen to have the answers and to know the way forward but Sometimes we just don't know and that's okay because that's where then we invite others in to to help us know or to help us at least explore and find out. I'm waffling now. Does it matter? <laughs> no, you're not. So you've now been in this role for 
nine months or whatever it is and you you have all sorts of conversations with all sorts of people and so the way the politics is structured here you're there's the the district council of which you are responsible for one ward and that ward is divided into these smaller parishes and you get these little parish councils and they meet in little church halls or pubs or somewhere down a farm track and you're meeting all these different people in villages um in this small part of the southwest of England. What have you learned that's maybe surprised you or uh, upturned some views you might have held previously or something like that? So I've really noticed that there's been certain people that I really appreciate. So, for example, you've encountered him. There's a local farmer called Jim who, from day one, though we're very different, he was very welcoming in a very kind of down-to-earth way. And I mean, um, so for example, he took me on a drive about of the of his parish um, to show me different farms and different issues and views. And he always makes a point of going and speaking to people face to face. And he's busy. He's a farmer, and and yet he always makes time to connect people and to go and share what's going on. And I think that's been a real like encouragement and lesson in, you know, there are these people all around us, even if they're completely different to us. There are people all around us who who do this stuff. They do the listening, they do the conversation, they do the relationship building, even if they wouldn't necessarily articulate it like that. Um, and I think that these are the people that I really want to put time into and support the work that they're already doing. You know, I can't bring anything new to this place I'm you know technically an outsider in some ways so I grew up in Devon I, this 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 area is new to me so it's how do I support the people who really do know the place and the people and how do I listen to them and reflect it back in in the areas where I have influence and yeah just I also just really there's a spirit here that I really like which I can't quite articulate there's something really down to earth and hospitality um, and people just have time for people even if that means they're then running late for something else they won't neglect the point of connection they're in in the moment kind of thing Um, yeah because haven't you said that this part of Devon almost feels more like your experience living in Zambia than it does say your experiences living in London yeah, my experience of living in Zambia. And I've travelled also to quite a lot of other countries in Africa now. And though they're all obviously different and have a unique identity, they're something I've really appreciated about different trips to communities, particularly across Africa, has been that, that people have time for each other and hospitality is just a given. And people go and deal with things face-to-face. They don't hide behind email and whatever. And I think that's something I also see here in r- rural Devon. It's that people have time. Hospitality is important. People will go out their way to do something for you. And phone calls and face-to-face is much more part of the DNA than email and social media ever will be and I think that's yeah which goes back again to the point that yeah we can have technical solutions and money and so on when we're dealing with climate change or other complex issues but you can't hide behind that at some point you've got to walk out your front door and go to your neighbour or go to your parish or go to your council or go to your government and talk to them face to face and also 
go and talk face to face to fossil fuel companies or finance groups or whoever it might be because you know we can blame faceless organizations but organizations are people they're made up of people and if we don't have the skills to treat them that way and to call out the humanity in government or whatever institution it might be and sit down with them then I don't think these issues will be solved it starts with a relationship and I think going back to your question I think what I am learning locally is is a, is a new way of articulating that. It's an affirmation that that's true, and it's a new way of experiencing that. Um, I've taken up a lot of your time now, but I want to ask you a couple right. more questions. So firstly, you've been elected to serve for four years on your council. I'm, I'm not going to ask you now if you'll, if you'll stand for re-election, but I wonder at the end of those four years, what would you, what would you like to have achieved? What would you like to see different um whether whether it be like i want to see this building constructed or whether it be a change in just culture what what's your your vision well maybe i can do the podcast again in a few years and update you on the answer but i suspect it's something to do with touching what we were saying before you know maybe how how are conversations being opened up how are relationships being formed how can you know elected members and paid officers maybe think about new ways of working together and I realise there is a separation there healthily so but also I sometimes think it perhaps gets in the way so something about rethinking what relationships look like and how that could really help what we're trying to do and also like I say touching on some of the issues like farming and the environment how how are those conversations moving forward what are we learning from all kinds of people and groups and how are we bringing that together i'd like to open up some of those conversations and then some really practical things like so for example there's a local village who want to get a cycle path built it'd be about a mile long to a proposed development i'd love to help them know that maybe that's going to happen um because you know we need to get cars off the road. We need to improve our air quality. Um, so projects like cycle and walkways to help link neighbourhoods feels really important. And yeah, just the kind of culture change thing. You know, we there there is so much opposition within politics, and you know, in, even in our even in our council, we've got the official opposition. And I see why that can be helpful in some ways, but I also think it can get in the way. So I wonder if in the future we won't have such kind of different political groupings who take their time to you know, throw stuff at one another. Rather, maybe we could have something which brings together the best of all of them and the worst of all of them um, and finds a new way of thinking about what political leadership looks like. Because as long as we're putting effort into bringing down the other, whoever the other is, it's time that we're taking away from creating something better and, and identifying a new vision. So, like I say, there's all the kind of soft stuff, really. It's the, it's the relationships, the glue in between. But, there, yeah, there's some practical things, too. Um, as an aside, and, and we've talked about this before, but I'm always, or I'm increasingly struck by forests and forest networks and there's been research in recent years that show how trees talk to each other and connect to each other so you, you go into a forest you're not actually seeing individual trees you're seeing a community of trees that are in contact with each other through the air and through the roots under the ground and I've been kind of exploring this in the context of Aruka network 
but also now putting that lens on politics. I think a healthy society is one that's well networked and where information and knowledge flows well, where strengths can be spread out, where challenges can be overcome collectively, where one part of the network is under threat or damaged, you know, the rest of the network can rally around and help overcome it. So I'm, yeah, like I say, increasingly taken by this idea of what a healthy network looks like. And I think whether it's a RUCA network or politics nationally, locally, internationally, there's some lessons there that I'm still drawing on. Watch this space and I'll speak to you again in, in a few years. Um, yeah, I'll put it in the diary. <laughs> Just finally, within our network and probably to people outside of our network who are listening to this, um, we often talk about the challenges of um, as as community groups it can be hard to be heard or feel like you're being heard by decision makers and policy makers in government and things like that I wonder what what would you recommend to people who want to approach decision makers in in local government or elsewhere well I think going back to my earlier point that influencers and policy makers and decision makers they're all just human beings and I can only speak from my own point of view of course so for example when I get emails through I'm always most happy to receive the ones that are offering ideas and encouragement and engaging as a human being rather than emails that set out to criticize or to simply point out what hasn't been done yet I always come back to the idea that humans they used to be children and children are naturally curious and interested in wonder so there's something about curiosity which I really like to to draw out and to to use and I guess that could translate to you know asking questions and like I say offering ideas and, and also just I guess respecting people's time inviting decision makers to go out for a coffee or have a phone call or even adding value saying you know I'm this person and I would really love to engage because I you know I've seen how you've done xyz and maybe I can share my experiences of abc and maybe that would be helpful there's something about asking questions creating invitations remembering that we're all human we're all children once we're all curious we're all looking for answers and just putting relationship first even when some politicians might take ill-informed decisions or say things which are awful still think if you're engaging with them you should treat them well there's you have the choice in how you respond to things and I think there is a way to shine light on negative stuff and dark stuff and foolish things that is still full of compassion and willingness to understand and walk with I also think you, you don't know what people are dealing with when they go home or in their work or in life or in their family you've no idea and so again all you can do is ask questions and treat I think people are whole and and deserve to be treated that way even if you don't agree with what they're doing you you can still make a choice about how you engage um yeah and I think just you know 
researching and reading up on and studying you know do your work don't don't be lazy look at what's been done so far on something before you go and attack or ask questions or engage in I'm always struck by how many documents and things and research is out there it's online or in person or whatever it's out there so go and use it if you can if you've got the ability to get online or to read books or to speak to people do so I think like inform yourself I think you know every day is an invitation to to be awake and to engage in the world and to to learn and listen and and offer then yourself into the conversation and into the challenges so i think yeah doing your homework invitations curiosity humility i think that goes a long way in all kinds of things be humble you don't have all the answers even if you're an expert there's still someone else who knows more than you or who's experienced more so offer what you have don't diminish your own light and your own offering but don't also put it above somebody else's offering and somebody else's light. That was the voice of Elizabeth Wainwright, a mentor and coach here at Aruka Network, but also a district councillor at Mid Devon in the UK, where she is also a cabinet member for climate change. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, I'll remind you that you can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community on our SoundCloud page or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community Aruka Network. You can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. And finally, you can learn more about us on our website. Just visit arukanetwork.org. But that's it from me. Until next time, bye for now.